0: Well, please turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Philippians, and we are in chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 17. This is what I'll call the pressing on chapter. If you want a title for the message, it's "It's pressing on lesson number 4. And the, and the final one for this pressing on chapter of Philippians 3. Starting in verse 17, it says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself heard a story about a a wealthy preacher who wanted a butler and he put out an ad for this butler and the next morning a young man shows up at the door knocks on the door he's dressed really nice so the preacher opens the door and he says good morning Can you have a warm fire in the fireplace going by 7 a.m.? And can you have a good hearty breakfast on the table by 7.30? And the young man says, well, I, I guess so. And then he goes on to say, can you polish the silver? And can you wash dishes? And can you keep the house clean? And the young man now says, wait just a minute. I was told you're a pastor, and I'm thinking about getting married, and I came to you to talk about it, but if there's that much work involved in it, forget it. I don't need it at all. And you know, that can be the attitude of the Christian or and and it's definitely those who hear about Christianity and and reject the Lord as their savior you know the thought of a a relationship with the Lord that that would require some responsibility and accountability on our part uh, for us to have something to do in it there's not a lot of people who are going for that you know people can tend to to want anything to be done for them, you know, but but to ask someone to sacrifice of their time or their treasures or their talents, you know, that there's not a lot of people who are desirous of something like that. But I tell you, for the true Christian, you know, that's going to press on, that lethargic attitude is not going to work. Because there's some pressing on for us to do. Now, we understand that we are only going to press on by faith. But as we press on by faith, we are going to find ourselves busy in the work of the Lord. We're going to find ourselves doing many things as we press on in faith, as this pressing on continues. And the first thing we're going to look at tonight is going to be following good examples. In verse 17... Paul writes, Brethren, be followers together of me. Some people want to pattern their lives after professional athletes. Some people want to pattern their lives after the rich and the famous in Hollywood. But for the true Christian... The Christian is going to want to pattern their lives after someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who serves the Lord. It's going to be a quiet life. It's going to be a simple life. It's going to be a life that doesn't get a lot of attention, but that is the life that you and I are going to want to pattern ourselves after. It's something that belongs in you and I pressing on. To, to follow the pattern of someone who has dedicated their life in service to the Lord. That's who we want to have our eye on. That's the example that we want to have. There are many examples like that in the world today with Christians. There were examples in that day, obviously. Paul was one. Paul even said that he was an example for the people to follow. He said that with no pride. He said that with no ego. The church at Philippi, they did not think Paul was bragging at all. He simply was a devoted servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said it's not bragging if you can back it up. But, you know, Paul received that thorn in the flesh, something major to to deal with pride. So this wasn't an ego thing. It It was just truly what Paul was. He was simply committed to the Lord and he lived his life for Jesus. And the church at Philippi knew this. He was he was committed thoroughly, and Paul didn't say that he was the only good example there. By the way, also we all we see here in verse eight in verse seventeen, it says, "Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. sample." So Paul was talking about others who were good examples as patterns to follow. As we go back and think about the way he talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus, he, was, he could very well be talking about them as also a pattern to follow. There were most likely... Uh, others that were in the church in the very presence of the people at Philippi that could be followed as a good example. Of course, we know that Iodias and Syntyche, those were who wanted to be served by one another, those who were causing division, those wouldn't be the examples. But there are usually going to be examples in the church that are going to be a good godly example to follow. You know, you think about all the problems that the church at Corinth had, but the church at Ste- uh, the, the the house of Stephanus, the family of Stephanus, they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were a good example of those who were serving Christ in the midst of everything that was going on. And And the church at Philippi, they had examples right there in their presence that they could follow. I wonder if there were any, though, in that church who were looking at these two women, Yotas and Sintiki, and the problems they were having, and thinking about leaving the church. It's very possible that there were some. It amazes me that you can have a church full of people, you can have a, a, a church with a hundred people in it, and somebody's thinking about leaving the church because of one. Because of one person in the church. You know, we have to be very careful who we focus our attention on. Because we could, we could have bad examples that we are following just as well as, as what's instructed here about having a good example to follow. Uh, to focus on, on the one that somebody would have a problem with, that is pressing that one down. But I'll tell you what, it's encouraging, and to be able to press on by faith, we have the blessing of great examples of Christians today who are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. They lift me up, it picks me up, and it helps me to continue pressing on by faith. It's important who we look to. I, I, w- I would invite us all to, to examine the lives of some Christians. Of course not judgmental, but but examining and looking... At those who you admire the qualities of. You admire the spiritual labor in their life. And and get close to them. Follow them closely. Don't just compliment someone at at their faithfulness to the Lord. But conform your life to that. Be an imitator of that. Not, that. not that your walk's going to be false, but the Lord is our example and someone that's following His example, you and I can follow the example of. Can we look to those people? Anytime I've ever talked to anybody, I've never talked to anyone here uh, about that at, this, at uh, Lakeway, so I'm not talking about the church, but I'm talking about Christians in general I've talked to, and they talk about leaving the church because of one person and i've asked before how many are in the church and i've asked are there any godly people that you really connect with well spiritually in the church we've got to be careful we've got to be careful what we're looking at and who we're looking at as examples god always has great examples for us that lift us up and we need to put our focus there we need to pray for others, and we need to put our focus on those that we can follow as a righteous example. You know what that brings about in the, in the church? That'll bring about good Christian conduct. When you see someone who's living for the Lord, you want to be that way, and you draw close to them, you humble yourself before the Lord, saying you know you need an example, you know you need someone to follow, and you do that, that's going to result in greater Christian conduct. That's going to result in in, in more righteous living. But that's not all. That's not all. If you look here in, in verse 17, it says, brethren, be followers together of me. We not only find an imitation that ought to be done, imitating another in this phrase, but we find also unity. It's going, we've, we've spoken about unity in past chapters to this church because that's desperately what the church needs. And just think about it. If you have those who are, who are, who are looking at the good qualities in others, if you have those who are looking to glean from other Christians, you're, you're going to have a lot of unity there. You're going to have one that is humbling themselves before the Lord, knowing that that's where they are in their walk and they need a good example. And if you are walking as that good example and and, and that connection is being made, it's going to bring about a unity in the church. And that's what every church needs to, to follow a Christian as a good example. You know, there's a problem with someone who's not willing to do that you know if there's if there's someone that would only look at at one that would make them want to leave and and if one will just not look to that christian that they can follow that they can receive good advice from that they can humble themselves before knowing that they need it look that's going to cause division That, that's a dividing aspect of a stubbornness in someone. So, so we see that this is just as important for the righteous living in the church, and it's just as important for unity within the church, that we follow good examples. But not only that, we, we also see that we need to be familiar with our enemies. Familiar with the enemies of the cross of Christ if we're going to press on by faith. Verse 18 and 19, Paul says, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. There are many enemies of the cross of Christ all around us. There are two things for you and I to work to look at here and to work on here. And that is, we cannot dwell with the unsaved, we can't dwell with the enemies of the cross of Christ. But as I say that, we're not in isolation from them, and we shouldn't be, because we should be reaching them. For Jesus Christ. Look, we have we have an insulation in Christ. He, he, he promises to protect us and take care of us. But but nowhere are we to be isolated. There are some Christians and they have come up with a solution of isolating themselves from the world, isolating themselves from those who are lost. And I just wonder where the plan is in that that they might be saved. Because God uses His people to share the gospel. I mean, the reason why I got saved is because someone told me about Jesus. And most likely the reason why you got saved is because someone shared the word of God with you or you heard the preaching of the gospel and you were saved. So so someone in isolation is going to be a lot worse off but we understand that we're not to dwell with them. Yet we rub shoulders with them every day in the world. We are to evangelize them, but we are to be able to identify the enemies of the cross of Christ that we wouldn't dwell with them. And there are different ways we see here that we can identify the enemies of the cross of Christ. And said first of all, there's many of them we see in verse 18. In verse 19, let, let's step down to where it says, whose God is their belly. Now look, to... It's, it's missing the mark to think about gluttony in this because that's one of a million things that could be going on uh, as far as in offense of the cross of Christ as an enemy. This is speaking of the sensual impulses of a person. The desire to please self in whatever it may be. The desire is not for the things of God. The desire is a carnal, worldly appetite. It's a constant an appetite every meal is the world and and you see that and you identify the enemies of the cross of christ that way but not only that we see uh, an attitude that we can identify the enemies of the cross of christ with Uh, the attitude you know about sin changes after one gets saved yeah there's a lost sinner and then there's a saved sinner and the difference in the saved sinner that's walking with the Lord, that, that Christian is going to trip into sin. And maybe even in public. And they're going to be embarrassed about it. And they're going to be humiliated about it. But when you're talking about the enemies of the cross of Christ, they love the attention that comes for their sinfulness. They brag on their sinfulness. They love it and they're looking for more of it. They don't have that convicting attitude that comes to the child of God once they have been saved. They, they have no shame in their game. Their, their, their aim is sinfulness, and there's no shame in it for them. But there's also an attention that you'll see. Their mind, the Bible says, is on earthly things. The attitude or the, the attention is on earthly things. The enemies of the cross are looking to gratify the flesh, Their mind is always on that. You will see an overwhelming selfishness in that, that they want to gratify the flesh. They want to partake in the temporary pleasures of this earth. And it's an ongoing thing. And this is an identifying mark of the enemies of the cross of Christ. But let's go back to the first portion of verse 19 that I left out on purpose that we might consider their afterlife the afterlife of the enemies of the cross of Christ. It says, whose end is destruction. This is the doom of eternal misery for the one who knows not Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's the final ruin of the unsaved. The word used here is destruction. And as Paul has spoken to them many times before of the enemies of the cross of Christ, now he speaks of the enemies of the cross of Christ in weeping. And, and this word weeping in its strongest sense, it's speaking of a wailing. It's, it's a wailing and there's a gut-wrenching pain that goes on in the thought of those who are headed to their end and their end is destruction because they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings Paul to wailing and weeping over them. The lost are going to be separated from God forever in eternity. There's going to be torment and there's going to be punishment. There is an afterlife and there is a heaven and a hell. And there, there are those who are going to heaven. And there are those who are going to hell. And as we look in verse 19, we see one. And as we look in verse 20, we see the other. It says in verse 19, whose end is destruction. But in verse 20, it says, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that that motivates in you and I a witness and a work. That motivates in you and I a powerful witness and pressing on by faith. We press on by faith because of many things. Here we see because of eternity. Because heaven... Is our home the Bible says here that our conversation is in heaven and that word conversation sometimes means the way of life the way we live our life and that fits in according to the text here but what this primarily means here it's speaking of our citizenship the Christians citizenship is already in heaven if it's not secure And if it's not a a safe, secure, final thing that's already done and already sealed for us, how can we be considered citizens of heaven already? It's because we have blessed assurance in Jesus Christ. We're not trusting in anything of ourselves. We're not trusting in anything we could do. We're trusting in what Jesus Christ did when on the cross he said, it is finished. We have a home in heaven. We have a dual citizenship right now, if you will, and it's legal because we are are members of of the the heavenly kingdom and we are part of an earthly nation. And our priorities ought to go in line according to that uh, lineup there. Our heavenly kingdom is what we are a citizen of First, And we are to prioritize our life in that order. We're tempted by the world. We're tempted by the world. And great Christians can many times all of a sudden confine, can find themselves consumed with the world and just a little bit of time for God. So Paul refreshes these Christians by letting them know, look, your citizenship is in heaven now. That's set your focus, set your thoughts, set your heart upon heaven. Heaven is your home. And things ought to be prioritized in that order. The lost can only have an earthly mindset. The lost can only desire and and aim for the temporary pleasures on this earth. Earthly things. And if we do the same, we fail in the mission that God has given you and I. Because lost people are thirsty for living water and they don't realize it. But if our affections in our life and our lifestyle looks the same as theirs, they're not going to be able to find it in us our witness is going to be very weak and and we're not going to be able to be used in that for God. So we're reminded to keep our focus on heavenly things so that the unsaved can be drawn to us for living water. Heaven is already our home. And if we represent ourselves as citizens of heaven, as we should, the lost will be drawn to faith. That heaven might be their home. We can't save anybody. Only Jesus saves. And he uses us. So that others might be saved. That they might be able to have heaven as their home. And that's the purpose that God uses us for in this life. We are pressing on by faith because of eternity. Heaven is our home. Because Christ is coming to the clouds verse 20 our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the savior the lord jesus christ we press on by faith looking for jesus to return he's going to It's an absolute no-so. We're we're expecting it. We're anticipating it. We just don't know when. We have a hope. We have a blessed hope that we are looking for that is going to return and take you and I to heaven one day. The unsaved do not have that. All they have is whatever is here upon this earth. And, And when we have our attention... Fixed on this though, when we have our attention fixed on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back to get us, it's going to draw our attention away from earthly things our mind and our focus is going to be on something and if it is if, if it is constantly on the things of this earth there is going to be something very unhealthy going on in our lives look this world is going to get worse and worse and things are people are going to wax worse and worse and in last days and perilous times there's going to be no natural affections people are going to be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure and all of these things are going to come And we need to fix our attention not on the, not on the decaying things of this world, but on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him returning to the clouds that we might yearn and that we might eagerly await Jesus coming back to get His children. We must fix our, our attention on this. Look, we're going to heaven. And Christ is taking us there. He himself is coming back to get you and I to take us to heaven. This is something for you and I to be encouraged about. Look, it could happen at any time. We can continue to press on by faith because of our blessed hope that is surely coming to get you and I. If you want something else, our bodies will be changed. I know somebody's thinking amen to that. You know, there's one man that said his hair reminded him of the sea because it was just beautiful wave after wave after wave. And he got older and he went bald and he said his hair still reminded him of the sea because when the, when the waters went down, there was nothing but beach. And that reminded him of the sea as well. Look, we are going to have a glorified body just like our Lord. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we're not going to earn that. But he's going to give us that. We don't deserve this. But look, we're going to see him. We're going to hear him. We're going to be in the fullness of his presence. We are going to be like him. And we don't deserve any of this. It's all the gift of grace. There is no one that is going to be to exceed the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one that is going to be equal with our God. But we have the promise of being taken to heaven and being with the Lord. And he's going to give us a new body there. That makes you and I rejoice when we fix our focus this way. The Lord is is going to do something for us that only He can do. The idea of taking a man from the dust of the ground who has died and raising him up and taking him to heaven. Look, that is something only the power of the one who made man from the dust of the ground can do. And that is God, almighty God, the only one with unequal power and and nothing exceeds him is God. And God has promised us this and God is going to do these things for us. And we are going to be with Him for eternity in heaven. It is a gift. It is not something we can pay for or earn. You can't pay for a gift. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is something that has been given to us by grace and through faith. But I invite you as we start to close to remember the unsaved what does it say about the unsaved whose end is destruction do we weep for them as we press on by faith there ought to be a pressure on our heart for our purpose in christ that we reach those who are unsaved now that's some pretty strong languages language the enemies of the cross of Christ and if someone has uh, among them has passed God's deadline we don't know it and we ought to weep for all the unsaved that they might be saved are we reaching out to the enemies of the cross because that's what we're to be doing Is our lifestyle drawing them to the Lord? Are we showing them something peculiar and something different that's going to draw them? Is our conduct matching our citizenship? Because that's what's going to happen when we are pressing on by faith. Remember, our mission is to reach the lost that they might be saved. We started out this chapter of pressing on with rejoicing. What does it say there? Begin, right there in the beginning of chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And we can end this chapter on rejoicing. Rejoicing in what God has prepared for you and I for eternity. We started by rejoicing, Let us in by rejoicing as we are filled with the hope of looking for Christ's return. Someone may say there's a lot of things for Christ to do before he returns. Well, they could happen really quick and he could return really quick. And that is our blessed hope, and all of this means nothing whenever in the world, and in an earthly sense, whenever Jesus comes back to the clouds, He returns in the air, and we are steadily now becoming more and more like Him. We are going to hear Him. We're going to hear the sound of the trumpet. He is going to come for us, and and we are the accepted in the beloved As the Bible says right now, you and I have something to rejoice in things, things on the status of, 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 of easy or difficult or, or, or a blessing or a burden. They, they may hit that scale in different places at different times, but the best is ahead for you and I. No matter where you are and what you're going through, we can end this on rejoicing because of the promises for the child of God that we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And it's something for us to endlessly rejoice about. Press on by faith, Christian. You can press on by faith through everything that comes. And let us take as many people with us as we possibly can. And, and as we consider this, as we talk about what we're going to be doing, a, a, a reaction of pressing on by faith, it's going to have us doing a lot. And it's not a duty. It's a desire for the child of God. It's not looked at as, as work so much as a privilege. We get tired in the work, but not of the work. And it's a privilege to serve the Lord. That's a desire that's only given from heaven. And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ personally as Lord and Savior of your life, by faith, by the, by the grace and the gift of God, then then none of this is expected of you this can't be done it it can't even have someone go through the motions and it be real because it's not an outward deed that is going to to make us right with god god works from the inside out and it is by faith. That's why, that's why baptism does not have any part of salvation. There's no outward ordinance that we can walk through to make our heart right with God. It is only, it's, it's only by grace and through faith that our heart is made right with God. And then we have the precious promises continually of being able to press on by faith. Things might be tough now, but, but the best is coming. The best is coming. The promises are sure. They're as sure as already done for you. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we close Bible study tonight. It was great to be with you and have your attention. Um, Terry Metter, would you close us in a word of prayer, sir?